welcome back again. Part two, competition shenanigans. So myself and the young whippersnapper Daniel Jones. Are you there, Daniel? I'm here, Sean, ready to impart some hey, knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Imparting the wisdom. So uh, if you haven't heard uh, uh, part one, check out part one of this podcast where we talk about the British Open Paramotor Championship 2023. Um, but this is part two. So let's get back into it. Indeed, so that was a Thursday, um, and that was the main sort of flying window. Well, it, it certainly was for me, because Friday morning we had another flying window, but it was windy. Mm. It was windy indeed. So you were up with the sparrows, though, weren't you? And did you tell me about your flight, because it didn't look great when I saw the colour of you mm-hmm. when you got back down. Yeah, it was... Um... It was essentially like because I've done all the, the closer tasks, we had another three hours to fly on the um, on the Friday morning. The forecast was um, sort of calm at, at sort of seven, but then then it was picking up after that point. So it really paid to get up four seven and take off, which I didn't actually do. Um, I was um, a bit later than other people because I'd planned a task and then had to replan it um, again. Anyway, I'd planned it wrong, and I, I'd realised basically on the previous day. The constant speed that I'd planned was wasn't the way you should plan it, and then had planned that the same way the second day. So I had to, yeah, actually plan it correctly. So crossed off that, and I aimed for the um, the constant speed, and then was then going to do the snake after under the same man mentality that I'll get the, the harder one done first and out of the way with, and then I won't lose. Well, I'll lose less points on doing the, the snake afterwards, hopefully. Um, but by the time I'd got to the constant speed, which was further out than. The previous day's tasks it took significantly longer than expected um and because the wind was was quite strong aloft i was flying a, a reasonable amount sort of lower in 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 that day anyway so it made the navigation harder but also you were then sat in some rougher air which you know in that three hour window by the time it was about an hour and a half in i felt pretty pretty airsick you know um, and it's not the first time i felt airsick on my John O'Groats to Land's End flight, you know, there was the second flight into that. I was actually felt sick to the point where I was physically sick out the side of my paramotor on that flight. But I was praying, praying for everything that I wasn't going to be sick, sick on the Friday at the, at the comp. And um, I remember finishing the constant speed task and just being absolutely exhausted and just being like, oh, you know, I've had three hours sleep the night previous. And I'm so glad that this task is over. I'll just head straight back to the airfield and collect these turn points because I'm not feeling great you know like it is what it is and then on my way back I was like oh I've got like an extra half an hour oh there's another turn point over there how how sick do I feel mm, yeah okay right next turn point oh yeah I could just get one more and and one more and then one more and yeah I actually once I'd finished the constant speed the turn points was really the only thing I could do left you know because there was nowhere near enough time to get down to the snake which was in the, in the south of the map because you'd have been into wind again and by the time you got there you were going to be coming directly back anyway so unfortunately I didn't get a chance to do that snake task but um it played out in my favor anyway yeah got the constant speed done and a decent amount more turn points to bring me up the tables on on the overall turn points collectors as well so you know i mean again competition mentality it's like squeeze every turn i mean that's what the turn points mm. are there for isn't it you know, yeah yeah squeeze out those extra points and things and i think it was blaze i heard i don't know which day it was but he said to me something about he spent two hours on speed bar getting to one of the tasks or yeah, something yeah. and uh, yeah. some of these tasks were 
about 40 kilometers away from the airfield or, or yeah. even more than that and um, into a headwind that that's quite a challenging thing mm. you guys uh, up there at the top of the class that's what you're doing for us at the bottom we were quite happy picking up turn points around the airport yeah. but yeah it was a rough day and, and, I, and I did see on your landing so I was there when Dan landed I should have got it on video actually <laughs> but I failed to I'm glad you didn't <laughs> For the record, I was on my feet. Yeah, he did. So, for the record, he landed on his feet. Uh, the wing didn't want to stop flying. I think it thought it could pick up another turn point or two, with or without yeah, Dan's yeah, permission. Yeah. And I know she had a bit of a wrestle trying to trying to keep the wing down on the ground. And uh, in, in the end, Adrian ran out and he gave you a, a bit of a hand with the wing and stuff uh, because yeah. the wind was up. Um, it was howling, Strong. yes. And and this is um, you know, so my own experience of that day. I knew the the window was for. Uh, the wind to get up quite strong as the day went. And I think Thursday, because the night before, I'd had such a good time. And I mean, I really had. I, I came and I was buzzing. It, it was hard. And when you're buzzing, the first thing you want to pick up is a beer because that makes the buzz a little bit mm. nicer. And <laughs> I did that. I mean, I didn't, you know, I wasn't drinking excessively, but I, I chilled out. The next morning. Want to relax. Yeah, <laughs> want to relax. So the next morning, uh, I did get up in time and set the alarm clock. Got up the flying window. I think was it seven o'clock. I think was the was the out from the flying window. Yes, I think yes. I'd set my alarm clock uh, about six thirty. Uh, I got up, but I had um, to refuel as well. I decided to to fill it with fuel. So mm. there's a bit of procedure to refueling. You can't refuel at your tent. You've got to go down to the refueling area. There is a bit of procedure. Yeah. You've got to log out, so you have to pick your tracker up because if you're sensible, you've set it on record um, charge the night before. You have to take it to the tent. You put it on charge overnight to pick up the next morning. You pick your tracker up, you fuel up, you go and log out. You've got to literally sign out so the marshals know Mm. you're out flying. And the same when you come in, you've, you've got to come back in and sign in. But by the time I'd got all that done, after having a coffee, because the first thing I do every morning is have a coffee, I do nothing until I've sat there for half an hour and had a coffee. I was late out. It was gone. It was gone eight o'clock. <laughs> I know uh, Keith. Is it who? Mm. I think he won the trike class. Congratulations, Keith! And uh, it is Keith, isn't it? For the open, uh, the winner was Carlos. Carlos. Oh, was it on the trike? Yeah, on trike, Carlos oh. Oscar Lamas. Oh, well, yeah. sorry. Congratulations, yeah, yeah, Carlos. Yeah, I thought yeah. Ke- oh, Keith won the. Uh, was he in the discovery then? Uh, let me just check for yeah. you. Uh, discovery. Trike is Tim Dougal and then Paul Hennyset and then Cohen Dima. I don't know. I can't oh. even see anyone call Keith on here, mate. Who came second? Uh, in the Trike Open. Yes. Uh, Alex Anderson. And then uh, Dave Alex. Messenger. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, he came second. For some reason, I thought he'd come first. Uh, first in the National Trike. Yeah, it was Alex. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. first in the yeah. National Trike. Yeah. I now known that. as Keith. Yeah. Now known as Keith. <laughs> Sorry, Alex. <laughs> I know his wife Tracy. She got some fantastic photographs, and uh, yes, she did. Yeah, yeah, they they were phenomenal. She got a she got a a lens bigger than my wing, <laughs> and uh, she got some fantastic photographs. So Tracy, thank you for that. I did enjoy them. She sent me uh, some of the photographs she got. But yeah, anyway, so so Alex, um, Alex, I think got out early. He kind of got a bit more of a competition mentality. Got himself out there, uh, and he went. Alex is quite experienced. He's an instructor, isn't he? And um, he is, yeah. Foot flight, 
paramotors. Hot flight paramotors, yeah. He, he got himself uh, up and he was gone. By the time I got to the field, it was getting up and literally over the course of a half an hour, it went from sketchy to, uh, to ridiculous and mm. it literally blew up that quick. So there was three of us stacked. I was the third in a, in a stack. Um, before me, there was Dave Messenger. There was somebody else in the bigger trike. I'm sorry, I don't know who that was. And Dave Messenger set his wing out and then came back. And uh, he basically said it, it was too windy for him. And Dave's trike um, has a slightly higher center of gravity than what mine does, uh, I would imagine. And he was a little bit worried about being turtled, which is a, which is a concern for, for a trike pilot. The other pilot, uh, he decided to put his wing in too. There was only me, I think, at that stage mad enough to have a... <laughs> to have a go and I got the wing above my head but it was just too strong it, I just ended up rolling backwards at a faster rate of knots than than comfortable mm. so uh, so I had to abort but literally I, I aborted and, and I was going to have a second go but by the time I got out my harness to try and reset up the wing the wing was unmanageable it was you know I've got a big wing anyway but it was howling and I couldn't even uh, keep the wing sat on the bloody ground let alone leave it there you know mm. to trap into a uh, to a trike yeah so i i lost that flying window the, the learning point there which i kind of already knew it's been a little bit of a theme for me is the um uh, the early bird catches the worm or to be first you must be first <laughs> that's all on the pilot the wind was out of range but if i'd have wanted points and i'd have wanted the chance of winning, I should have been ready to go fueled up on the stack at seven o'clock in the morning and I would have got in the air. And if I'd have got in the air, I, I would have got more points, even if it had been one or two points, picking up turn points. You've said this to me before, Dan, it can literally come down to individual points in a championship. You can, so close. Yeah. If you want to win, you have to make the most of every opportunity that you've got, but you don't have to. If you don't, you're not going to win, but you're going to have a bloody good time, I'm telling you. <laughs> For me, that was the last flying window, but wasn't. The, the, the problem at this stage is, I'll, I'll say now, is I was kind of keen then to find out how I'd done. Mm. I'd set myself three goals, basically, in the, in the championship. The first goal was not to break myself. The second goal was not to break any equipment, and the third goal was not to get zero points and, and preferably not to come last. Those were my goals, so I was kind of keen to see where I was in the running because I knew that some trikes hadn't done much at all. I think there was one who'd took off and literally circled and come back down, so I was kind of keen to see, see how I'd done. But I had a bit of a problem, and you had this same problem too. So there's a few people been asking how I got on in those championships. Mm. And there's a few people been saying I'm eating words because I had one Dan Jones after saying that <laughs> I would do. But I think that's just because of a technical error, because um, I'm fairly mm. sure I was on pole position for the whole championship, <laughs> Dan. Did look like that, mate, yeah. Yeah, it looked like it. I mean, I, you know, it's, it, luckily for you, Dan, uh, my track logger got corrupted. And I very lucky <laughs> lost. Yeah, because Dan, honestly, his podcast would have been completely different now. You know, we'd, <laughs> we'd have had to keep stopping for all the sobbing and, and things like that. <laughs> but it did. I, I lost the track log and, you know, the, the guys tried to recover it. Now, 
there's another learning point from this, and I think it's a learning point that you've already taken on board. Yeah. Because you lost your track too, is that correct? Yeah, that, it was really unfortunate this year that, that um, there was just so like there was quite a lot of technical errors, and I don't really think it was the organizer's fault, but it was the fact that like the, the track, the loggers themselves were like either corrupting files or they just weren't weren't actually logging them properly um and i think that coupled with uh, a huge increase in pilots this year um sort of compounded the issue to where i think barley told me at one point that they one of the events they spent an hour just trying to get one track log assigned to one pilot you know so it was um yeah taking them a significant amount of time to fix as well so um yeah it's a real real shame that that, that was the case and uh, Actually, I think you know it's 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 been a big learning point as well for for them to to look into it and and see that this doesn't really happen again in the future, you know. But like you say, yeah, I've I have taken the learning point from it in the past, and and I always have done is fly with your own your own logger because always good to have a backup, always have a backup, and if not two backups, you know. Yeah. And that's the way I'm moving forward for for next year. You know, I want <laughs> I want to have two backups as yeah. well as the main logger. So, Dan, you know, if it wasn't for the backup logger, uh, you could have lost the championship. Absolutely, yeah. So it's a learning curve. I, I did present this as feedback to the organisation, not that I ever feel as though it was any errors on behalf of the organisation that, that the track are corrupting. It's a technicality that can happen. And I think the people, more experienced competition pilots like yourself, know this is a potential. It's happened in the past. Uh, it's catastrophic for the pilot because you can't, you know, just claim your points. Mm. You know, the, you, you've got to have a track log. Um, it's no good me yeah. telling him how, how I think I'd done. Um, otherwise, I'd have told him I've done that, you know, all six. Every task. Yeah, every task <laughs> and the turn point. The learning point is that the feedback was, as a novice pilot, as a novice competition pilot entering a competition for the first time, the concept of losing the track had never even crossed my mind. And to me, it was, it was fairly significant. Now, I was never in it to win it, but I really wanted my track because I wanted to know how I'd done. And it was as important to me, I think, uh, as to you. And I'm fairly sure it, it was. I was it felt really mm. important to me that I had my track. Yeah. Had I had a concept that this was a possibility, I would have had a backup tracker. Because some of the cheaper ones aren't that expensive, and I'd spent more on a Vario and uh, certainly more on bits and pieces of equipment. Now, if you don't care and you're entering it for the first time and you're not really bothered, then it, it, you know, it's no big one, but it, it's a possibility. So if you do lose your track on the track logger and you can forget that with a, you know, with a pint of beer, then don't worry about spending the 100 quid on, you know, on, on a cheap logger. But if it's important to you, and it was to me, I'll admit, even as somebody who was never interested in winning the competition, getting that first track and seeing how I'd done was more important than I'd even realised because afterwards when I'd lost it, I was really sad about it. I'd actually put a lot mm. into those six or seven turn points and maybe one or two bonus ones. <laughs> I'd put a lot into that, and that's a whole getting ready for it, going down there taking the motor home, you know, everything, getting up early in the morning, all that lot. So a lot went into that. Now, it wasn't wasted because I had a fantastic time and a great competition and learned a lot. 
But if I'd have known it was a possibility, I probably would have took a logger with me, even as a first-time pilot. And it's the only learning point, I think, to get from it from the organisation. But it would have been nice to have something a little bit more visible, saying your competition track is at the disposable of, of this logger. If there is a corrupt file, it's your responsibility to have a backup. If that had been obvious, I probably would have would have had one for that because I was kind of keen to, to, to know it. But I don't want that to come across as a negative because the, the organisation did extremely well. 70-odd pilots, they had to hire these trackers. They did everything they could do to try and retrieve these tracks to make sure that nobody was as, as disappointed as what I was. I don't think they could have done much more, but knowledge of that now for anybody out there if you're entering it i'd recommend you can that there are some cheap um ones what was the one that, that you recommended to me there was a a, a little bean wasn't there yeah skydrop sky bean is what i use it's just like a little it's like a, a general flying it's it's a reasonable flight computer it just gives you your ground speed and stuff but obviously when it comes to competition you have to seal that because you uh, if you're in an open championship class you you shouldn't actually have visual access to to your, your ground speed or anything like that so yeah. you do have to remember to see it whereas like the the flymaster um sort of the competition standard stuff is literally just a device to record a log and that's it it doesn't give you anything else it's just literally a box that logs logs your stuff i think rick uses a um, yes like a solar powered one as well um i can't remember what he calls it now but um that might be worth, you know, even if it's just clipped onto the front of your, your harness, you know, it shouldn't really be flying when it's cloudy, so, or it's, you know, raining, you yeah. know, so it should actually have some charge in it at all times, so. I asked Rick mm. the same question as you, can you recommend a, a flight logger, and he sent me one, it was about 700 quid. Cool. Mm. So I thought, well, I don't think I'm uh, at that standard yet, I think if I was uh, in your your boots, I might be more tempted, but even then it's a lot of money, isn't Even it? then, wow, yeah, 700 is a lot of money, yeah, yeah. Yes, looked a, looked a nice piece of kit. But yeah, I don't know what the problem was. I did lose my flight log, and so I, I don't know. And I don't know who else that happened to. It did happen to you, Daniel. Mm. You had a, a backup logger, thank goodness. So that, that, is a, that is a recommendation. So that's why people keep asking me how I've done in the competition. Typically, it happens to me. People will be convinced I didn't fly. <laughs> oh, the other thing that I wanted to mention is, I didn't pass this back. I'm going to send this to Barney, but... Because they lost my track logger, I think on the scoreboard it should have been recognised. Because at the moment when I look at the scoreboard, I'm at the bottom with zero points. Mm. And I know it's a, it's a mute thing, but there's a lot of people looking at that thinking bloody Sean Fable didn't even get one point. And it would have been nice if it would have just been recognised and put, you know, void or something like that flight track corrupted yeah because i did feel i was there with zero points and right at the bottom of the stack you should see that yeah you should see that on individual score sheets but um they're not always published which um would be actually quite a nice addition it's just the overall scoring sheets that are published i was just looking at the um the the task catalog and in section 1.9 electronic equipment it does say competitors may carry a backup gps unit of their own but if competing in the open championship this must be sealed before flight and signed off by a marshal so it does mention it um but maybe not as explicitly as as uh as it needs to be you know this is just a learning point for next year is just to let people like me who have no experience know because it's one of those things you wouldn't think about that can have catastrophic effect on your experience but but hey ho those those things happen that was a learning point 
it did sting. Yeah. But the overall experience was massively positive. So I'm still very glad that I did what I did and I entered it. But that was that was for me. So because um, I'd lost the track, that was um, you know a little bit of a damper on my scores. And then the forecast for the rest of the competition from Friday was was windy, and it was unlikely that we were going to fly on Saturday and unlikely to fly on Sunday. And I think we were all talking then about trying to bring the festivities forward even because I think everybody was wanting to have a beer and a laugh mm-hmm. and, a, and a joke. I was also at work on the Monday and the drive on the Sunday would have been very late and we'd have got back here because it's about a six-hour drive in my old bus. I'd have been back late, tired, jumped into bed, dived up early for, uh, you know, for a half five, get up for, for work. So I had a chat and, and I decided that I was going to bug out at that stage based on the fact I didn't think there was going to be any more flying anyway. All I was going to be doing would be missing some festivities and the, and the award ceremony, which I did take to heart because I did want it to be there, but all things being equal, I think I valued getting a day's rest before work uh, ahead of that. So I bugged off out. <laughs> so I do apologise to everybody for leaving you. Uh, I think a few others, didn't they, left Saturday as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's always a tough one when it's ceremonies on, on a Sunday and stuff. Yeah, and the other thing as well, Dan, is you were rumoured to be coming in third. So uh, <laughs> I uh, thought, you know, well, it's not even got Dan to cheer on there. But But anyway... That was a decision that I made, but I do regret it now because um, it turned out we got some more flying in, didn't you? Yeah, 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 we did. It was um, it was a real last-minute um, change of weather that it really dropped off on the Saturday night. You know, we weren't expecting to fly, but that's the thing with competition. We said earlier, you know, you've always got to be ready to fly at, at any moment, and it's actually being on standby quite a lot of the time can can be quite draining as well you know you can't fully relax and and sort of unwind but um yeah it uh the the winds dropped and it was decided that the open championship classes so foot launch and and trike um would would do a spot uh landing and then into a skittle landing as well i think that was a little bit disappointing for the discovery classes because they were quite keen to have a go. But with the sheer number of people and actually quite a limited window of flyable weather before it was um, dark, you know, it was actually still quite a struggle to get through the championship classes being about 30-odd pilots. So, um, yeah, it was, it, was, um, it was really good just to get that, to get that done and, and seal, seal the deal on, on the, the competition, really. It was, um, it was a shame that we never really had the chance to do uh, any economy flying. You should really have an equal amount of different tasks to balance out all the kit and stuff. But um, it's in the rules that it's five hours worth of competition flying um, validates the competition, which we'd had with the navigation. So it was actually really nice to, to have the chance to bring in the precision element as well, even if we didn't get to do the economy. Yeah, so so I sadly I missed out on that. And, and I think if... If I knew it was more probable, I might have hung around for that. But, you know, that was the decision that I made. I think if I was in it to win it, I'd, you know, obviously I'd have, I'd have had to have stayed anyway. So you, you had a bit of a spot landing. How did you do on that? Uh, yeah, well, I, I felt like I nailed the spot, but um shows in the scoring that I was was outside of the spot. So you can look at the videos and it shows that. But um, as a learning point from the competition, you know, that grass needs to be cut so the, the spot's actually flat. 
luckily it didn't affect my position overall in the end but um yeah quite disappointing that it was it was taken that i didn't actually hit the spot but there you go um everyone was up against the same thing so here's what it is and then moved on to the skittles after that how did you do in the skittles well um i got was it three i think i was three skittles but um I just wasn't lined up enough on the skills. I had enough energy for ten for sure. Like that, that warp really, really comes in hot. But um, yeah, it was. Um, I think it was just a bit of adrenaline and stuff, a bit, a bit of an overflare that that just just took me off off of course as well. But um, you know, I could take that away and uh, concentrate on the precision landings and stuff for next year again. You know, it's it's always a skill set that's uh, quite easy to lose points on. So. It's it's a shame really that I left because the one thing I had practiced was spot landing and uh, I just think it's one of those things all pilots should practice anyway. If you can land on the spot, you know, you'll you'll keep yourself safe in an engine failure. I, I practice that every time I fly, Dan. Yeah, good. I always come in on the glide approach. I don't always kill my engine, but I, I always let go of the throttle at 500 feet to come overhead the airfield and snake my way in, time myself in, and mm. play around with the brakes and things like that to, to come in where I want to do. So I think it's um, it's a shame because I had practiced that one, and you never know, I might, I might have done uh, done reasonably well on it. It would have been nice to see how I did in the competition environment because I always think it's different as well when there's an expectation. People are watching your spot land. Yeah. Navigation, you're off there on your own, in your own mindset. When you're doing the spot land, people are watching you. And there's an extra element there of thinking, Definitely. I, need, I need to nail this, not just for the competition, but for me anyway, you, you probably know you're going you're gonna to more or less nail it. But for me, it would be, well, if I miss it by 30 feet, you know, it's, it's on video. It's going to be on, uh, on Paratard's next YouTube video. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it is a different pressure when, you, when you're in a comp environment because obviously you scored. There's people watching you, you know, people are obviously videoing it to look at the recordings back and make sure the scoring's fair. You say say that I'm going to nail it every time, but, um, you know, this is why I always say anything can happen in a competition. People you would expect to hit the spot every single time don't always do it, you know. I've missed it in the past in comps, you know. Skittles, I was pretty well dialed in on those before I came to the comp, but didn't manage to hit all the Skittles, you know. Things happen in a split second, it changes really quickly. Fortunately, though, I think you'd acquired enough points from what you'd done to make up for not quite getting maximum points on the uh, on the precision tasks and everything. But as I said, it was rumoured when I was kind of asking about the scoring. I think there's a bit of speculation. And I was told when I was asking that Daniel looks like he's third. I don't know where that came from. You probably had a, a better eye on the scores and things. but. At what stage, uh, you know, at what stage did you feel like you weren't at the top and at what stage did you start to realise that you, you were back in it and could win it or indeed were winning? Yeah, this year was um, uh, different to last because last year we had pretty much, if we flew like a navigation window in the morning, we had we had the scores out by the afternoon, you know. You could see where you, you were in the leaderboard and you could adjust your tactics as well to try and get some more points in certain places where other people hadn't. But this year, because of the, uh, the the loggers having all the issues and, you know, a significant amount more pilots, we were actually a couple of days behind on, on the scores, literally just because of that. I think, you know, they've, they've got to the point where it's all sorted now, but you couldn't adjust your tactics and you didn't actually know where you were in terms of going into the spots and skittle landings. So, yeah, it looked like I was second, but then having spoken to other 
pilots and stuff and seeing what tasks they've done you know they other pilots have done one more task than i had and it was like oh well that this person's pretty much going to guarantee their their win and um actually when it came down to the the scoring of it um it flipped that on its head and i was at the top again and then yeah i was clear by pretty much half a task worth of points so pretty happy happy with that you know whether i'd have done either tasks on the on the friday you know if i'd have scored highly in either of them I would have still been in the same position, which is nice to see. But, you know, there's always room for improvement. There's always more points you can squeeze out unless you're scoring a thousand points on every single task, you know. Yeah, that's right. So consistency up there at the top of the leaderboard, it's a consistent performance, isn't it, that uh, that keeps you there. And uh, and sometimes, like you said, it can come down to a few points. So Absolutely. So overall then, so when it, when it came through, when did you knew that you would definitely... Uh, you'd won the competition at what stage was it just before the ceremony or when was it when it was nailed and you knew you were the dude 2023 (laughs) i think we actually had official scores published on the board at like half two in the morning on the of the saturday night um it was sort of asked that can pilots relax is there going to be any more flying because they reserve sunday as as an extra window for for task if there hasn't been enough competition flying and um yes. you know there's a band booked and stuff like that and and to be honest if you know they'd have closed off the sunday morning for flying you know pilots wouldn't be able to enjoy it and and stuff like that so it's, it's a mixture of that as well you know competition does come first um but we had enough time to validate the competition so yeah it was wasn't until like the next morning when i'd seen the provisional scores because obviously once they get um and probably not obviously actually but um Scores get published on the on the board, and you've then got two hours to contest any scores that have gone up. So, for example, if you think you'd hit a turn point, it was missed off your scores, you could put in a, a contest and then basically say that, oh, I'm pretty sure I hit this turn point and this one and this one, blah, blah, blah. They'd then double check that and come back to you and say, oh, yes, you have or you haven't, and adjust the scores accordingly. And then also other people's scores as well. You can contest if you feel like they hadn't hit a spot landing for example um then you you know you can put that that contest in and then when you get that decision back if you still don't agree with what the outcome was you can then put in a, a formal protest which is i believe 50 pounds then it goes to an international jury and they have to look at the judging on that and comes back for the final answer on that so if you win that protest you do get your money back but yeah it gets gets sent to a, a panel of three judges i believe that international so quite quite serious at that point, you know, um, because it is an FAI Cat 2 event, scores for the FAI League as well. So going back to your question, a bit of a r- r- rant there. Uh, not really a rant. Bit of a snake task on. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a snake task, yeah. Uh, I saw the scores in the morning, um, but knew that, that that contest window was still open, you know. So I wasn't celebrating as yet, you know. It, it looked good, I was happy, but, you know, there's until the final published scores are out there, you never know what's going to happen, but, you know, the scoring is done very fairly in the British Open. There's not normally much discrepancy of anything at all. This year was a bit of a, a separate occasion, really, with all the, the logger issues. So, you know, I wasn't 100% that it was going to be definitely right because this year we the scores were normalised to a 1,000 points. So you were pitched against the best scoring pilot in each task. So if someone actually then did better than you, your your points would drop down slightly as well. So... Yeah, it was just a case of of waiting and and seeing really. So I think it was pretty much just before the um, 
the the ceremony was when it was all confirmed and you can relax and collect a trophy you know it's um yeah, still nerve-wracking. <laughs> no, absolutely right. And and I was kind of following it from home and everything because, you know, even though I'd, I'd heard that you'd won, I wanted to see you there on the podium. Uh, Chile messaged me and asked me how you'd done. I think at that point I said you'd come first by 500 points, but there was some contest over the points, so it wasn't official yet. And then when I saw the photograph of you on the podium, I flicked that to Chile. And then the next thing you know, Chile's got it on his socials. <laughs> trained at you. Yeah. You can fly for fun. <laughs> Paramotor champion. That's a good advert. It is a good yeah. advert. Yeah, they don't blame you, Chile. But you got more from Chile, didn't you, than, than just your training. He's been a mentor as well, hasn't yes. he, on competition stuff and things like that. So uh, Yeah, because you know, he directed the Worlds in 2016. And, you know, he was a comp pilot for, for many years before he started digging into training and stuff. So... You know, he's got a wealth of knowledge there that I've really, you know, tapped into over the, the coming up to four years that I've been flying. And it's, you know, it's been brilliant to have that on your doorstep with, with such a great airfield as well that you could actually, you know, practice as launch land um, practice as well, you know, because there's not many places out there that tolerate, you know, a engine going up and down and round and, and bits and pieces. You know, you have to be respectful at certain times in the morning. It's obviously not doing it at 4 a.m., but, you yeah, know, it's, it's been great to have that. There's no shortage of very direct but sage and experienced knowledge comes from Chile. This is what I yeah, find. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely. Excellent source of knowledge. But right, so first of all, I want to say congratulations, you young whippersnapper, on getting it <laughs> two years in a row. You've got the chance to fill up that whole side of the trophy yet. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, the uh, heat's going to be on for next year because I'm coming back next year as a contender. I look forward to it, mate. Yeah. So there's two more points I'm going to go into then before we close off this podcast, which I think is going to be two parts now, Dan, by the looks of it. But there's two points that I want to make. I want to talk about the British team yeah. uh, a little bit. Before I do that, I also just wanted to mention the British Open Paramotor Championships is more than just a competition. And, and it, it was to me, and I think it is to other people. And I think it's important for organisers and other people to recognise it. There are lots of things that happened during that championship, I think. First of all, there was a camaraderie. There was a bit of partying mm -hmm. and, and things. He had the, the Saturday night, a few, a few beers. There was things like the show and tell. There was the sponsorship contribution as well. There were a lot of sponsors there and the opportunity for them to show other people their wares. The show and tell was great. You get to see other paramotor pilots, their own little tactics, their modifications. But it was a, it was an event as well. You know, my wife came along. She doesn't fly paramotors, not interested in, in flying paramotors, but she came for the whole experience. So it's more than just a competition it's an event and there's lots of things to happen there. We had Mark Shaw come from the BHPA mm. who gave a couple of lectures on reserve parachutes and general safety and, and, and all sorts of things. And I think that this should be recognised. It's not just a, a group of people with butterflies trying to outcompete each other. There is a, a sense of community there. The community WhatsApp group is still buzzing away. There's been more posts put in it since, yeah. even if it's not watching Benny's track back to uh, to wherever he came from. People now posting all sorts of bits and pieces, and that's the best thing about it. And the thing that I've loved the most about paramotoring over the last five years is the community. I mean, I first found the community on social media, particularly YouTube, but now... Uh, I feel as though I'm, I'm part of a much bigger community of people who, who I meet, who I know, 
A few more people know me. I always find that a bit disconcerting. <laughs> How many times do people come up and say, hey, up, Sean, and uh, I'm like, who are you? And they're like, I'm I'm Fred. I like your videos. <laughs> oh, thank you, Fred. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I think that's important to, to recognise for other people who are thinking of entering in the competitions. It's not just people out competing each other with book fans. There's a community. It's fun. It was good to be part of. And uh, I think anybody who comes along in the future, even just to do what I did, just to take part for the fun of taking part, whether that's just entering the competition directly like I did or being in the discovery class, you're going to get something from it. And if it's not learning to be a better pilot or taking away something extra, like people keep saying, it was a fantastic experience and, and great fun to be part of as well. Lots of laughs and giggles and shenanigans and things. So that's what I want people to know, Dan. What do you think, mate? I think you've nailed that summary, mate. Yeah, yeah. through and through, it, every year, it always gets better. We've got even more pilots coming through. And just, yes, just a fantastic experience. and. You learn so much and you, yeah, you meet new friends and you know it gives you something to focus on with your flying and, and everything. Yeah, you've, you've really nailed it there, Sean. Puts a few faces to names as well, yeah. particularly people from the socials. The other thing I wanted to say before we, we go on to the British team is thank you to the organisers. We've highlighted there was a few technical issues and things like that and it's easy to focus on the negatives of mm. which there were a few. I have to say... I was absolutely astounded. If you try and imagine the amount of organisation that must have gone into this championship, it is staggering. And when I've been moaning about being tired and having to get up early and going to bed at 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock and getting up at 5 or 6, I then think, my God, what lack of sleep Barney must have been having to be running these championships. Yeah. The lead up to it, you know, uh, he must have had to put him and, and, and the team a huge amount of work, whether that's from the campsite, organising the competitions, the legalities of everything. He had to cope with a new trike class, which was brand new, discovery class, record number of pilots, and then bad weather on the day of the championship. So even though there was a, a few learning points to take away from it, absolutely staggering and i have to applaud the organization anything can be better it could have been a hell of a lot worse and i think they did bloody well and and the effort that must have been put into it is is staggering well being on the other side of that sean you know i'm the treasurer for the committee and stuff like just seeing everyone in the panel putting in the effort it's, it has been a huge amount of work from from all of them um and it, it's really come together i think the work started well, only about a month or so after the last year's comp, you know, conversations every two weeks, we'd have a meeting and then updates and, you know, bringing in sponsors and, and finding locations and even down to the setup, you know, it's, um, it really is a, quite a big operation. And um, I think I speak for each and every one of the panel members that we're just so pleased that everyone's had such a good time and, and they enjoyed it. And we hope they come back again for the future years, you know, and and we'll move on to the squad chat in a minute as well. You know, it's, it's also provided a platform for that. Absolutely. And, and I would very much recommend anybody fancying it next year come along because it was just a great thing to be, to be part of, even if you just see it as another flying event. It was wonderful. So come along, give it a go. And if you think you might be a budding competition pilot, and it's not for everybody, but it, it's probably for more people than you realise because it is great bloody fun, even though you're 
you're not aiming to be um, to be on the top of the podium. Get yourself involved in competitions, and there is a way you can get yourself involved in competitions. Dan, tell us then, mate. Tell us about the squad. Well, yeah, the squad, and also we've got a league event. So, like I said at the start of the um, this podcast, that we're hoping that we're going to have the worlds next year at Manston. But before then, we've got a uh, a league event and also the national open again. But to be part of those, you know, you can sign up and, and join regardless. But we also have the, the British squad. The British squad is basically for pilots who are really keen to compete and do well. And the aim is there that they want to join the British team. The squad is free to sign up to. But essentially, it's like for people who want to learn, learn about competitions and really strive to be the best by coming to those league and the national events. But also we'll have like training weekends as well. Uh, we fully understand that People don't always have every single weekend available to dedicate to competition flying, you know. It's it's more that your mindset is driven towards being the best. Um, and then from the squad, the British team has picked as well. So how it's run historically is that the top three places nationally um, automatically gain, gain a place uh, on the squad. So um, first, second and third for that. And then after that, a selection is made by the committee panel on who's going to be uh, part of that team for the world championships but it's it's also the different classes as well so we've obviously got foot launch uh, solo foot launch uh, solo trike and then also uh, we've got uh, tandem foot launch and, and tandem trike but obviously in the UK we haven't got the scope to do tandem trike so um, that's a class that hopefully we'll see in the future but not quite quite yet yeah, if you're if you're keen to join um, the squad and and your aim is to to join the uh, the the British team, then you know get yourself signed up for that. And uh, yeah, we look forward to to seeing you and seeing what you can do. And I think part of the secret behind having a, a good team is to have good open access. Because if what you're looking towards doing is perhaps getting involved in the competition side of things, but improving yourself, we don't know what fantastic talent we've got out there unless you kind of join the squad and come to the practices and learn the skills from the other experienced uh, squad members. What we're looking to do is build a world-leading a world leading team, and I think we've got the ability to do that. There's a lot of paramotor pilots here, a lot of good paramotor pilots, a lot of good paramotor pilots who don't realise they're good yet mm. because you've never been involved in this kind of thing. Come along and uh, sign up for the, for the squad. If you want to know more about it, then you can either ask myself or Dan, uh, Rick Womersley. I'll try and leave some details in the show notes. Get in contact. You never know. We might have a world-leading team. That would be exciting. Maybe some opportunity for a bit of international travel there, Dan. What do you reckon, eh? Yeah, yeah. It's it's all on the cards, you know. It's not always going to be in the UK, the world. You know, last year, it was well, two years ago, sorry, it was... um, in Brazil, um, you know, we got we got to get the chance to go out there. Fantastic flying, good competition. Competitions happen all over Europe as well. So the French Open was earlier this year. Um, I believe the Italian Open as well is starting to pick back up as well. You know, it's, it, we're starting to actually see a growth in competition as a whole again. You know, it, it used to be quite big and I think sort of some thoughts on that might have been that there wasn't much else to do now we've obviously got a lot of options of going to several flyings and stuff but yeah we're starting to see some really keen pilots across europe even the us i believe they're starting to show a bit of an interest in what we're doing over here with comps so it's um yeah it's great to see um but yeah there's a lot of chances coming up fantastic right okay well with that in mind with that in mind fuck 
without him without in mind. <laughs> You've been listening to the Fat Paramoda podcast. Myself, Sean, uh, Sean Fable, and the young whippersnapper Daniel Jones. Thank you very much, Daniel. Fantastic to hear all about those competition shenanigans. I'll see you again very, very shortly. Hopefully, in the next one. Thanks for having me on, Sean. You're very welcome, Dan. Take care, my friend. Bye bye.